Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The power of darkness is so strong that in that verse it says that only God can deliver a person from the power of darkness. A person can't just wake up and just say, well, I think I want to get out of darkness. It's only by God because there is a bondage in darkness. There is a bondage in darkness in Matthew twenty two thirteen. Matthew twenty two thirteen. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a scene described there is where a person's hands and their feet are tied up before they're cast into this outer darkness. There's a terror there's a terror in darkness. You know, Proverbs 4.19 speaks about it. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. You know, it's terrifying to trip in the dark. It's terrifying to stumble in the dark because you weren't expecting that and you can't see. And all of a sudden you have this unexpected fall and you forget about it. You know, I, I had a, a PET scan and they said, okay, you got a little spot there in the back, and they looked more careful, and they said, oh, you broke your rib. They said, did you fall? I said, no, I don't remember falling. And I talked to my friend. He says, yeah, don't you remember? We talked about it, so I forgot about it. Okay, so why? Because it's terrifying, you know, you fall, and you weren't expecting it. See, Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Matthew twenty-two thirteen. when it says that, it says that the king, the king bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's the king who commands the person to be cast into darkness because it's a judgment. There is a judgment of darkness. There is, an in, there is an intentional preparation. There is an intentional reservation of darkness. You know, it, it describes this in 2 Peter 2.17. 2 Peter 2.17 says, talks about these people. The, they say the, these certain people are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest. To whom is reserved the mist of darkness. Sorry, I didn't say it right. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. It says it that way. To whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Reserved. In Jude 1.13, Jude 1.13, it says, it talks again, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars. To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And then it goes on in, in, in Revelation 2, 21, 8, same theme, Revelation 21, 8. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
And again, the Lord spoke about this idea of prepared or reserved darkness in Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell and darkness is not unintentional. It's intentional. Words, you know, the words we've been reading here in 2 Peter 2.17, to whom is to whom the mist of darkness is reserved in Jude 1.13, to whom to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever in Revelation 21.8. Have their part in the lake of fire, Matthew 25.41, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you know, you go to a restaurant, you get a call in a reservation, and and you and you and you you show up at the restaurant, you give your name, and then they say, "Oh yes, we have your table that has been prepared and reserved for you." And so these words that we've been reading here, whom reserved their part, prepared for, they're all telling us the same thing. It tells that every one has a place prepared and reserved for them after death. Everyone has a place that has been specifically, intentionally prepared and reserved for them, either in the Father's house in heaven or in the darkness of hell, depending on what they do with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a place, there is a place which is prepared and reserved. And there is a preparation and a reservation of darkness. Now, this is pretty depressing, everything I've been saying here, right? So now you're all ready to start crying. Because, okay, fortunately, this is just one side of the story, you know? And so there's another side of the picture here. There's another side as well about darkness. And this side is there is hope to get out of darkness. Why? Because of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Luke 179, Luke 179, it says his mission was to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's described, why did you come? He came to give light to them who are hopelessly sitting in the despair of darkness. And so, you know, when he came to earth, it's as if he said, okay, here I am. Now, where are the ones who are in darkness? I came for them. That's my job. So, and there is the following that delivers from a life of darkness. There is the following that delivers from the life of darkness. In John 8, 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, in this verse, the Lord Jesus Christ is promising that if a person follows him, he's not going to walk in darkness. He's going to have the light of life. And then there is in the Bible a believing into that delivers from the state of darkness. There is a believing into that, that delivers from the state of darkness. This is John 12, 46. John 12, 46, when he said, I am come into the world that whosoever believeth in me, believeth on me, as it says, should not abide in darkness, or believeth into me, should not abide in darkness. Abiding in darkness Sitting in darkness, that's a terrible state. But that state could be changed by believing into the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's a command. There's a command that dispels the darkness. 
And that's given to us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, no one just comes out of the state of terrible darkness and, you know, no, it does not happen that way. You know, no, no more could the world of creation say, you know, I don't like being in the state of darkness. I think I'll just spontaneously make some light around here. It's a little dark, you know. It, it took the command of God. Both require the command of God. That command, let there be light, that's the command of God. That's the command of light that dispels the darkness in creation, dispels the darkness in the heart. And God makes that command to every person who turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. When a person believes himself into the Lord Jesus Christ, then God he, he, God does this. He says, light for that soul. That's what he does. And all of a sudden, the person sees, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. I see. Oh, I see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But for our part, we respond to the calling because there is a calling out of darkness. There is a calling out of darkness. That's 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God's call to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins, that's a personal calling for us to come out of darkness. And the more we love the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we will make it our personal mission to hate sin and to turn away from sin. It's not uncommon for, you know, a person gets cancer and the spouse has to, takes care of the person with cancer and, and, you know, and, and the person's dying from cancer and they watch what cancer it does and they, as it, it slowly consumes the, the, the person is torturous. And, the, and then after that, the surviving spouse, he says, I just lost my best friend to cancer. I just lost my, cancer horribly tortured to death my best friend. You know what I'm gonna do from now on? I'm gonna make it my personal mission to defeat cancer. I'm gonna go out and join every anti-cancer organization. I'm gonna give my money for cancer research because cancer killed my best friend. I just watched it happen. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is our best friend. He's our best friend. When we see what sin did to him, no, when we see what our sin did to him on the cross, we'll hate sin. When we see how our sin killed our best friend on the cross, we're gonna hate sin. We're never gonna play around with sin again. We're gonna make it our personal mission to get rid of that in our lives. We'll respond to God when he calls us out of darkness of sin. There is a message there is a message of deliverance from darkness. God has a message, and he says in 1 John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message that we, which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, no darkness at all. We live in a world of darkness. We are in a world of darkness. We live in among people who are trapped in darkness. We have a message of hope for them. You know what the message of hope is? God is light. That's it. God is light, and there's no darkness at all in God. There's none. So there's an identity, like there was an identity of being in darkness. There's an identity of not being in darkness. There's an identity of not being in darkness in Ephesians 5.8, Ephesians 5.8, where it says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light 
in the Lord. He doesn't say now you're in the light. He says now you are light itself in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's our identity, children of light. In 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 1 Thessalonians 5.5, you all are children of light. That's your identity. And the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. See, we were darkness. That was our identity. We were children of darkness. That was our identity. But we were children of the night. That was our identity. But now it's all changed. The Lord Jesus Christ has made our identity change to now we are children of light. Now we are children of the day. And so, and there is the word of God, thank him. There is the word of God that continually, ongoingly dispels darkness out of our life. We need that. And that's what we find here, Psalm 119, 105, 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And 2 Peter 119, 2 Peter 119, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I mean, we've been talking about, what we've been talking about here is the calling to come out of darkness, the deliverance from darkness, the change of identity from darkness to light. But the problem is, is that darkness is all around us. And it's so easy for us to fall back into darkness daily. So fortunately, God's given us his word to continually remove the darkness that comes into our lives as we go down our pathway of life. The Bible is the lamp for our feet. The Bible is the light for our path as we walk down life. The Bible shines for us in the dark places where we find ourselves. So you know, we get this appreciation here as we look at, at this statement here. Her soul was in departing. We understand this is giving us light about death. But, but, but as Rachel is dying here, she sort of has a choice as to what she's going to do here. I mean, I mean, she could have turned her eyes toward her husband and thought about her husband. She, she could have said something like, you know, Jacob, uh, my dear Jacob, I'm so sorry to leave you with these kids. I, but, but, you know, I know how much you love me, but, but let me just assure you, God loves you more, and he's going to take care of you as he's going to take care of me as I die. See, that would have been turning her eyes toward her husband. Yeah. Or she could have turned her eyes toward her son, who couldn't understand anyway. But anyway, she could have said something like, you know, I didn't want to leave you alone in life. Yeah. But don't worry, because I've, I've seen enough of God's provision in, in, in this adventure being married to Jacob that I know that God's going to fill in the void that I'm leaving by dying. Uh, just trust in God. You know, she, she could have turned her eyes toward her son like that. She could have turned her eyes toward her, the midwife there who was trying to help her. And she, she could have turned to the midwife and said, you know, it's so kind of you to think of me now and in, in my state and to try to encourage me. You know, I, I just love you for doing that and thank you for doing that. But, but don't, I don't want you to worry about me because I've seen God's hand all along the way of this life journey. I know his hands aren't, he's not going to pull his hands back when I die and, and let me fall. I, I know he's going to take care of me, so don't worry. Or she could have turned her eyes toward God. And she could have said something like, you know, into thy hands I commend my, my spirit. She could have said that, you know. She could have said, you know, you gave me life. I didn't deserve what you gave me all through life. Everything in life, I didn't deserve it. So thank you. I just feel so thankful 
Now, now, you gave me a great husband who brought me out of the darkness of idolatry to the knowledge of God. Thank you for all the blessings that you brought to me that I don't deserve. She could have died, she could have turned her eyes to God. Or she could have turned her eyes on herself and blamed somebody else, which is unfortunately what we're reading here. And when it says in verse 18, she called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. I mean, this was uh, kind of selfish on her part because she would have had it for the rest of this, this guy's life that he would be reminded that he caused his mother's sorrow and death in childbirth. That's not a good thing. Psychologists will tell you that's not good for children. You know, It, it would have hurt him for the rest of his life. You know? and, and it's showing us something. And keep in mind, Rachel's a great woman. I mean, she's a builder of the tribes of Israel. She's the mother of Benjamin and Joseph. You know? Clinton reminded me, you know, no Benjamin, no Saul. No Benjamin, no Paul. And so, you know, she's great. But, um, okay, we have this uh, to deal with here in this passage because it teaches us something. It shows us that when we act with our eyes on ourselves, when we act selfishly like that, uh, that we hurt other people in the process. You know, when she named her last son, son of my sorrow, she was hurting her son, I mean, obviously, you know, because, and it really would have been for the rest of his life. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him? You know, every time I say, hey, what's your name? Well, you know, my name is son of my sorrow. (laughs) Wow, that's too bad. Why are you named son of my sorrow? Well, you see, uh, because when I was born, see, my mother died in childbirth, and since I caused her death and her sorrow, she calls me, uh, you know, she named me son of my sorrow. Hmm. That's not going to look good on a resume. Anyway, and he might have thought, you know, that name was actually one of two names she might have had for me. She might have called me, she might have called me son of my death. You know, it's gonna... so Rachel, by naming her son, son of my sorrows, she was hurting him, but she wasn't just hurting him. It was like, you know, when you take a rock on a nice, you know, calm, placid lake, and you throw that rock up in the air and that rock hits in that lake, there's a lot of ripples and you just sit there and watch the far the ripples as they sort of spread out across the water there. That's kind of like the hurt that she was doing. She, she, she not only hurt her son, she hurt Jacob. He desired that, he, that, anyways, it was every time that Jacob would call his son's name, he should be reminded that this is the one who caused the death of the only woman he ever loved. That's a little rough on, on Jacob. Rachel's naming hurt Jacob. Rachel's naming hurt Joseph. Every time Joseph would call his brother's name, he would be reminded that his brother caused the death of his mother. It's a little rough on Joseph. You know, Rachel's naming, it hurt God. It hurt God. Every time anyone would call this boy's name, they would be a reminder that God allowed this boy to kill the the mother's, his mother. You know, so as we've seen here, in Rachel's death, it just resulted in, 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 in Rachel's death. We've already seen the good side of it. Rachel's death could be likened to the Lord Jesus Christ because, you know, she died and gave birth, new life. The Lord Jesus Christ died and gave us new life, you know. But can you imagine if the Lord's name was, he's the Savior who was killed because of our sins. <laughs> that was his name all the time, you know. Okay, we know it's true, but, you know, we don't talk about it all the time. So as we look at how wide this circle is of those that, that Rachel hurt with the naming of her son, we see a clear picture 
of what the Bible calls the root of bitterness, the root of bitterness that's allowed to spring up, as it says, you might want to turn to Hebrews 12.15, Hebrews 12.15. Hebrews 12.15 is giving us really this description here of what we're seeing in Genesis 35.18 here with what happened. Hebrews 12.15, it brings it right home to us with a command. The command is looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. See, verse 18, as Rachel named her son there, we say how a root of bitterness sprung up, and thereby many were defiled. She hurt so many people. And that's why bitterness, that's what bitterness does if it's let to be spring up. You know, verse 18, as she named her son, we see her failing of the grace of God. God's offering her, no temptation taken you, such as come to man. God is faithful, who also make a way for you, Rachel, to escape the temptation of bitterness. And so she turns her eyes off of God and turns her eyes to herself. And, and, but if she had just turned her eyes to God, and she could have, by the grace of God, been thankful that I'm giving birth to the son and she's departing. Verse 18, Rachel names her son. We see her letting this root of bitterness spring up. It's a springing up root bitterness that's, that we see here. And all of a sudden, she's blaming others. You know, the root of bitterness drove Rachel to blame her son for her sorrow and her death. That's not new. We've seen this before. This is not a new root of bitterness because we saw this root of bitterness also spring up and it drove Rachel to blame Jacob for not having children. In Genesis 30, verse 1, Genesis 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. So when Jacob, he hears this, she understands, you know, Rachel is in bitterness and she's blaming Jacob for not being able to have children. When she's, and she's in bitterness in verse 18, and she's blaming her son for her death both these times. They're not reasonable. It's not reasonable to blame the little kid for that. It's not reasonable to blame Jacob because her son, you know, her son, he should be blamed for causing her death. He had no control over that. And Jacob had, should be blamed for causing Rachel to have no children. He, he had no control over that, over her infertility. But, and when Jacob replied, Jacob gave a wonderful classic, even though it was done in anger, but he said something very important when he replied to that unreasonable accusation. Because, and when he did that, he gave us insight into what bitterness really is all about. When he said in Genesis 30, verse 2, Genesis 30, verse 2, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? See, when Jacob said, am I in God's stead? Jacob hit the nail right on the head with regard to bitterness because with that statement, Jacob exposed the real evil of bitterness. The real evil of bitterness is that ultimate blaming of God. God. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.